Season 2, Episode 109, Pete's Podcast, Bible Story Evangelism. Uh, the title of Episode 109, I had to cut it down from what A.T. Robertson had, but uh, I'm going to call it Almost Repent or Perish, which really has uh, two cases. Uh, you must repent of your dead works to be saved, and I'll explain that. And I did in the very first episode of season one, very first episode I made was explaining uh, repenting of your dead works. But we'll do it again. Or perish. Obviously, I didn't learn a lesson because I... Uh... Anyway, we'll see. Um, the, the main buddy of this, we'll get to it kind of after we take a look at some other things. One is the mistake I made... Or I, I said I would going to look it up and figure it out. Uh, I did, um, but uh, the the text here uh, for today is Luke 13 1 through 9, just nine verses, probably in Judea. Uh, to have large crowds, I would guess it was a pilgrimage feast time, and people from all over the world are coming, the known world at that time, are coming to uh, Jerusalem because it's required of Jews to do that, and they were scattered around. Ethiopia, well, that was maybe later, but anyway. All right, uh, based on A.T. Robertson's A Harmony of the Gospels for Students of the Life of Christ, copyright 1922. And C.I. Schofield, Schofield Reference Bible, uh, copyright 1909. He uses Usher dating system, which I use sometimes, which is basically based on the, the Bible, uh, the generations that are in the Bible, which leads to a young earth, about 6,000 years old. Uh, even when you factor in the fact that people lived a lot longer before the flood as vegetarians, and also uh, I think we had a water canopy that protected us from a lot of the aging effects of uh, the sun, for example. Uh, Rick Meyer's eSword, free Bible study app from for the PC or laptop. I'm not sure which one. Maybe the tablet. I can't remember. In, uh, including commentary for AP for by F. B. Meyerson, uh, copyright 1919. Okay, uh, I want to talk about the title before we get into it. Uh, All Must Repent or Perish. Um, there's two kinds of repenting. It's like there's two kinds of people. There's those that have trusted Christ and those ha that haven't. To trust Christ, if you haven't trust Christ, if you haven't trusted Christ yet, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in, very important preposition, in or on Jesus Christ. Uh, you need to do that. And how do you do it? I, I did it by when I heard John 3.16 in a Bible study. Uh, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son at whosoever. I like to say He had me at whosoever 50 years ago. I thought, wait, well, tell me about this God. Ephesians 2.8.9, By grace He is saved through faith, not of yourselves, as the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I was always hearing, make Him Lord of your life, put Him on the throne of your life. I knew I wasn't going to do that. So um, maybe you think you've done that or you can do that. You're capable of, of earning eternal life. Then why did Christ die? Christ, anyway, um, all must repent. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use uh, Hebrews 6.1, which was my very first podcast in, in season one, episode one, was Ephesians 6.1. Hebrews uh, Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Okay, it's kind of confusing because we're leaving the principles. And then he enumerates those, all six of them. Let us go on to perfection, completion. Uh, talk about other things, I guess, besides the gospel of the grace of God. Not laying again the foundation of, one, repentance from dead works, now that sounds like you could take that and say that means repenting from your bad works, and you now you're going to be good. 
I don't know about you, but that doesn't work for me. And that's not a free gift. If you have to change your life, uh, that's definitely a lot of work to uh, stop sinning and stuff like that, which isn't going to happen. I don't, know, I don't know how many New Year's resolutions you've kept, but I knew I wasn't going to keep. I was only 18 years old, and I knew I wasn't going to keep any. And I knew it all the times I heard it before then. Make him Lord of your life. Ain't going to happen. Uh, turn over a new leaf. I was relieved when the Bible study I went to said that both sides of a rotten leaf are rotten. That's not going to work. Uh, it's just repent of your dead works. Is a very good way to say it. Change your uh, mind, which is what repentance, literal metanoia means. Meta is in metamorphic rock change. Noia is mind. Paranoia is a faulty mind. Paranoia, uh, metanoia is to change your mind or to rethink, uh, to reconsider. And God, the word that when the word repented is used in the old time, and it's not used very often, but when it is used, 80% of the time, it's referring to Jehovah. God repented that he had made man. So if every time you see the word repentance, it means, uh, you know, you, you, you're changing your mind about this, that, or the other thing, and you're not going to do it anymore. Um, it doesn't always mean you're going to repent of your sin. If, if re repentance always referred to repenting of sin, then why did God do it? 80% of the time, when someone repented, it is God in the Old Testament. Um, so a lot of people just automatically put that word sin in there, but it, it, this here, it's clearly what it's dead works. Now you could try to twist that and make that say sin. I'm going to say it's the works you count in on to get you to heaven. I told you in a, probably a couple times or many times, I don't know. I helped save the kid from drowning at a Bible camp I went to when I was 20, 21 years old. Um, he, uh, well, I might have been 22. But uh, anyway, he, uh, you know, I jumped, I was the last to go. The lifeguard went first and got kneed under the jaw and he was done. A, a girl, a wisp of a, of a woman, she was a nationally ranked tennis star, so she was a good athlete, but she was a small girl. And she dove in to pull this guy out, and he, he weighed a couple hundred pounds. And he was young, but he was still he was a big boy. And she couldn't fight against the current of the, the river in North Florida. And so I jumped in, and finally I jumped in. Row, throw, and go is what I was taught. She said, throw, and I threw a, threw a buoy to her that was on the lifeguard's chair, tower, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I threw it to her, and I started pulling them both in, and the rope came untied. So he grabbed the, when he went underwater, he panicked and turned around and grabbed the girl, grabbed the buoy. Fortunately, he let go of the girl and grabbed the buoy and tried to climb it like he was going to get out of the water or something. If he'd have just rested on it, that would have been a lot better, but he didn't. He climbed it, and it shot out from between his legs when his head went underwater. When he got to the top of it, it... Uh, it shot between his legs, went down the river and around the bend. It was a spring Fred. Well, it wasn't spring Fred. That was Fred. That would have been too cold. But it was running. I, I don't know if it was spring Fred or not. It was pretty chilly. But anyway, uh, so I jumped in. And unfortunately, the adrenaline was going. And my head hit his chest, and he wrapped around me, and we both went underwater. And uh, the guy that taught me life-saving just that year at West Point said uh, that when two people drown... 80% of the time, one of them is trying to save the other one. So um, I, I, he convinced me to row. Get it. There was no boat, so that was out. Throw, I did that, but that didn't work. The buoy was gone. And go. So I went. My head hit his chest. He wrapped around me. We went underwater. And I thought, I didn't know if I was ever going to get my head above water. He was hanging on to me like he was hanging on to that buoy. And... Uh, but my foot hit a rock on the bottom, and something you learn in the army is to bob and travel. You can cover ground 
if you can't swim, you can cover ground by just pushing off the bottom, sinking, taking a deep breath and going back down and pushing back up. But anyway, the next time I could, when I came down from that first jump, I could touch the ground. There was a bend in the river. I can't explain it. Maybe other people had jumped in. I don't know. But uh, when we, we got him to shore, uh, they had to pry his arms off of me. We got him to shore. He, he said, he looked at me and said, thanks for saving my life. And I'm going, okay. Anyway, um, that would be a dead work for me. If I thought that that was going to get me to heaven, that would have been a dead work. There are no works that you can do to, to get to heaven. It, works don't pay for sin. Jesus Christ paid for sin. And uh, anyway, that's the gospel of the grace of God. So uh, we're talking about uh, this passage I had a problem with, and we're going to keep moving on. Um, two more verses here of, of things that are under foundational truths of the gospel of the grace of God is, uh, or the foundations of, of the doctrine of Christ is uh, one is repentance from dead works, two is faith towards God. You turn from your works for salvation to God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That was, that was what I, not of works, a free gift. You tell me it's a free gift with no strings attached. Jack Weaver said, praise the Lord, you understand it. I said, amen. It's good God, good gospel. I can do this, which is basically nothing except ask to be saved. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus' first sermon, um, Sermon on the Mount. The doctrine, okay, so number one is repentance from dead works. Number two is faith towards God. Number three is uh, the doctrine of baptisms. There's two. There's the baptism of uh, John the Baptist, which he said, I baptize you with water, but the Messiah will baptize you with uh, fire and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Ghost and fire, and that, that occurs at salvation. And the resurrection, okay, laying on of hands. When I became a pastor, I was ordained. The, the men of that church that were ordained put their hands on me, on my head, my shoulders, and said, uh, you know, whatever. It was an outward sign of an inward condition. I was ordained into the gospel ministry, and I had to make that very clear at my my ordination, I said, are you ordaining me to be the pastor of Palmetto Bible Church? And they said, because I don't know if I'm going to do that forever. And the, my, the president of the board, Hank Lindstrom, said, it's on your ordination certificate. You are ordained to the gospel ministry. I said, well, I can do that. I can give the gospel the day I die. So anyway... Uh, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, ordination, for example, that's three and four. Five and six are resurrection of the dead, very important. Uh, my wife's going to, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That occurs at the rapture, or just prior to the rapture, which I guess it's part of the rapture. First, the, the dead receive their bodies, the Dead, as it says in James, you're separated from your body. Uh, that's de You're dead. The body is dead when the spirit leaves it. It's in the book of James. You can look it up. It's not that big of a book. Um, as the body without the spirit is dead. There you go. That's how it's said. Uh, the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus rose from the dead. He was separated from his body for three days, but his body didn't see corruption because he was the son of God. And so he got his body right back. Uh, it was his old body, I guess, because he had holes in his hands. Because he, when he goes to the disciples uh, and he appears to uh, Thomas, who had missed his first appearing to the disciples, and said, unless I put my, hand, my hands in the holes in his hands, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus comes back and there's the disciples at his second appearing to them. And he said... Uh, Thomas, here's my hands, here's my side. And Thomas, I love what he said. He said, my Lord and my God. So he got the deity of Christ, and I think he put his faith in Jesus Christ at that point for salvation. Judas never did. That was the problem. He never believed. Jesus said he knew 
the disciple that would never believe. And he was chosen and he never believed. So being chosen is not enough. You got to believe. All right. Um, so moving right along. Uh, this we will do if God permit. Uh, that's Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. So got you started there in Hebrews 6. All right. Um, this is taking place uh, around uh, Judea. Uh, Jerusalem, I would say, is the capital of Judea. Judea is the region uh, west of the Dead Sea, north to Samaria, the region of Samaria, and um, all the way to the uh, Mediterranean, from the Dead Sea all the way to the Mediterranean. But when it, it's not the east side of the Jordan River, it stops at the Jordan River. Samaria does, and so does Judea. And that side is called Perea, which is going to be our next uh, part that we're going to get to. We're in part 9. Part 10 is the Perean ministry, which is on the east side or the Gentile side of the uh, Jordan River, which runs north and south between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Okay, uh, we're in uh, part 9, the latter Judean ministry. We've got two more episodes after... 109, we've got 110 and 111, uh, and then we'll go to part 10, which is the latter Perean ministry, and I just told you Perea is on the east side of the north and south flowing Jordan River. And then we've got uh, the, the, the last public ministry in Jerusalem, part 11. Uh, then we have the uh, in the shadow with Jesus part. In Jerusalem, he has to hide because they want to kill him. And uh, that's 14 episodes in that. And we have the arrest, trial, and crucifixion, which is uh, 16 episodes. And that takes place in less than 24 hours. So, the passion of Christ. Um, and verse four, or part 14 is the resurrection, appearance, and ascension of Christ. That occurs... Uh, I think to, right up to about a week before Pentecost, if I'm not mistaken, but just days after, for weeks after the short time, 50 days at most after the crucifixion. Which, all right. Um, so uh, I want to touch on Daniel 13, Daniel 7. I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, and I will put all these verses. Hopefully you can read along in them. I haven't done it yet, but when I'm putting this together, I'm just recording it now, but when I put it, podcast notes together on the podcast, my space is limited, but I hope I can get all these verses in there and you can just follow along there. You don't have to have a Bible. And it's a little easier if you're reading out of the same Bible I am, but you would get some insights into it if you read it in a different Bible. So I'm fine with that. Anyway, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I'm just going to go over this because I didn't learn this until recently. I'd been a believer for, been a believer for 50 years, 1972. So I just, in the last, uh, I don't know, 5, 10 years, I learned uh, what this is. Uh, this, the Son of Man. Son of Man appears five times, uh, ten times in the Old Testament. And only one time is it deity. But again, how many times does it have to be? I think it's clearly deity. Daniel is seeing a vision of the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth at the end of the tribulation. It's where it takes place. I, Daniel, saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came in the clouds of heaven. That's a special person there. That's the Son of God. Came in clouds. And who does he appear to? And he came to the Ancient of Days, which is another name for God the Father, Jehovah. The Ancient of Days. And they, the angels, brought him, Jesus, near before him, the Ancient of Days. So Daniel 7.13, in my mind, solidifies Jesus' using of the phrase the Son of Man uh, for himself as the Son of God. And that's the reason it's Old Testament. 
All right, so let's see here. Um, okay, let me clear up that, uh, that problem I had in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 45, I think it was, um, or 47. It says, uh, then Peter said, you know, he spoke to different groups in the 59 verses of 12. And I'm sorry that was so long. But uh, anyway, Peter said unto Jesus, we're on verse 41, Luke chapter 12, verse 41, which again, I'll try to put as much of Luke chapter uh, 12 um, Luke chapter 13, 1 through 9. So we're back in Luke chapter 12, which I said I was going to clear up this problem I had. I hope I do it well. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? Jesus, I think, answers his question uh, with a parable, but which is not usually the best way to answer a question. But anyway, uh, that's that Jesus said that. But normally he gives them straight answers. But this is a straight answer. It really is. In the Greek, it's very easy to understand. Um, that was what turned it around for me, the word Greek for faithful. The Greek word right there in 42, and the Lord said, when he, when he, then is that. Verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Who are you writing this to? Who are you speaking to, Peter? I think he's speaking to, in context here, faithful and wise Christians. Because this is a, a metaphor, if you will, for the, the Lord is here. The Lord is not Jehovah, but the Lord is, well, the Lord here is in context here is Jesus Christ. Then Jesus Christ said, Who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his Lord, lowercase, uh, shall make ruler over his household? If you find a good, faithful person, you're going to promote him in your business. Uh, you business people know what that's like. In your military, uh, if you got somebody that can lead people, uh, you're going to make them administrators in school or try to if they'll take the bait. But uh, that's what I loved about teaching. I, I always felt you couldn't get any higher than a teacher. So I enjoyed doing it for my entire stead. But I would not have been a good administrator. I would not have enjoyed it. I would much rather work with kids. whom And, and I could prepare all I want and come in there really ready to, to teach. And I tried to do that every single day. Uh, and not come in and say, okay, what do you want to talk about today? Whatever. Let's talk about history. You know, what? Um, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household. Kind of like uh, Joseph, maybe. I guess Joseph would be a good example of that. Potiphar made him ruler over his house. And he was probably the guy in the Bible that has... I'm not saying he was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And you could say, well, he was a bragger and he, whatever. But um, he, uh, but as far as being a grown man, he, there was never anything you could say against him. He had a lot of bad luck and a lot of, not bad luck, but God put him, tried him. But then he became second only to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, Potiphar didn't even know what he had in his house because he was a faithful and wise steward of Potiphar's money and everything else. And when his wife wanted to sleep with him, read uh, it's in Genesis. It's in the last chapters of Genesis. Uh, Genesis ends with the death of of uh, Joseph, and uh, Genesis Exodus begins with the birth of Moses. So there's a few years in there, but I think 400. But uh, between Joseph and Moses. But uh, verse 42, this is an important verse. I think I'm going to skip to the verse I had problems with just to save time. And the Lord said, and Jesus said, answering Peter's question, who then is that faithful, that 
Pastuo is the Greek word, pastuo, and wise steward. That's going to be important later. Wise steward, whom the Lord in this parable, the, the, the Lord of the manor, whatever, the, the guy that has servants, shall make ruler over Potiphar, for example. And everybody back then, even Potiphar had fields and stuff like that, I think. I mean, I don't know, maybe there were bureaucrats back then that didn't. But I know, uh, anyway, um, his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Whom his Lord, the, the wise and faithful servant's Lord, shall make ruler over his household to give the members of his household their portion of meat in due season. I guess that would be like a pastor in the Bible church. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You feed them with the word of God, by the way. Um, okay, uh, so uh, let me just quickly read these verses till I get to my troubled verse. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, findeth so doing. So that's a wise and faithful surface steward that is not, you know, when he's going to, I got to clean up when he gets here. I got to make, you know, get this done. I got to, no, he's ready for the Lord to come back at any moment. Uh, we should live our lives like he was re getting ready to stand up right now to return. Of a truth, I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Verse 45. But if that servant say in his heart, that, that steward, that guy in charge of his house, says in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maid maidens and to eat and to drink and to be drunken. So this guy's a lazy bum. He's not a good leader. He's not taking care of the guy's household. Uh, he's treating them badly. He's a terrible uh, guy in charge of his stuff. He's not like Joseph was in Potiphar's house. He's not faithful. He's unfaithful. He's not. He's a pastuo. He's unfaithful. Now we're going to talk about unfaithful servants. And this is the verse I had trouble with yesterday. And I'm going to try to stop here because I got to get to the other verses uh, that we're supposed to be studying today. Chapter thirteen, uh, Luke thirteen, one through twelve. 1 through 9, 9 verses. The Lord of that servant will come in that day when he looketh not for him. He's going to be eating and drinking and be drunk. And the, the, his servant in this parable is going to return. Parables don't have people's names in them. At, at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him asunder and will appoint him a portion with his unbelievers. I think this is hyperbole. I don't think he's going to kill him. He's going to appoint him a portion with uh, the unfaithful servants that this guy has been the leader of and a very bad leader, so uh, it probably won't be too good for him. But anyway, uh, I, I believe that this guy's, the servant here, are believers, and there are two kinds of Christians. There are faithful Christians and there's unfaithful. And I think we're all a mixture of both. There's never been a perfect Christian. But when, for example, I was with uh, some people I had, one guy had mess, recently met, another guy I had just met at that, at, at that lunch. And uh, the food came and Nobody was praying, so I just thought, you know, I'll just pray to myself and whatever. I just didn't want to be that weird guy that prayed before his meal. And the guy I didn't know, I don't know if I'd taken a bite or not. The guy, I, I think I did, because I didn't want to look stupid in front of these guys. The guy that I didn't know said, do you mind if I pray? So there's a solution to that. If you ever feel awkward or something and you don't want to be a Holy Joe or whatever, I'm a Holy Joe all the day long. I talk to everybody about the Lord. I just ride a motorcycle in the dark and I tell them my story in John 3.16 and, and how I came to Christ. 
and how they can come to Christ by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Uh, appointed his portion with the with the unfaithful believers, which, you know, we're all at the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema seat, we're all going to, you know, the perfect score in, in the Olympics used to, they never had them in modern times until Nadia Comaninch, and that was the first 10. But they always found fault with everybody. But, and rightly so. I mean, we're just, you know, I don't, I don't think there's been a perfect Christian. I, that reminds me of the, you know, this one lady in a, in a church goes, I haven't sinned since I trusted Christ as my Savior 12 years ago. And somebody said, Another in another year you'll have the record for not sinning, or whatever. For thirty, oh right, she must have said thirty-two years, and and he goes, well, another year and you'll have the record for not sinning. Anyway, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, uh, you can say that this is going to hell if you want. But I'm telling you that word right there. I told you pastua was important. Back here in verse uh, forty-two, who then is that faithful steward? Faithful is pastuo. The word here, unbelievers, in the Greek, is the word apostuo, which means not faithful. A is an atheist, no God, no faith, no faithful, unfaithful. Unfaithful is what I read in my Greek lexicon that comes with the uh, Esword app. I rec highly recommend you get. I don't know if it, I guess it's. I don't know if it's for every phone or just iPhones. I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, I think it cost a buck, less than two bucks. Anyway, I'm, and that's because, I don't know, Apple said you got to, I don't know, so they want to make something on their phone, I guess. I don't know. I think it's free for an Apple laptop or an Apple uh, pad. I'm not sure, an iPad. Anyway, uh, portion with the unfaithful Christians. When are these people going to get their just reward? At the second coming, when the Lord comes and they move. Well, they're going to be, when the Lord comes, they are getting their reward in heaven. And the unfaithful Christians, totally unfaithful Christians, the ones that I'd say there's a much better chance of there being a Christian that never did anything good than one that never did anything bad. But... That's just me, I guess. I know I'm far from it. Um, and I didn't, that's why I could trust Christ, because I wasn't promising to be a perfect Christian or even come close or even make promises I knew I wasn't going to keep. Anyway, appoint, appoint, and we'll appoint him, his portion, with the unfaithful Christians in the context here, I think. And that servant, which knew the Lord's will and a and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. The stripes, the, the punishment for Christians is loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ has paid for our sins. He took, with his stripes we are healed. So this is just uh, hyperbole. It's a parable. Jesus tells us that this, the parables aren't for disciples, although he's given one here. It's called a parable, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, anyway. Um, and then you got Hebrews 6, 12, 6, which I might put in. 12, 6 is my go-to verse for the fact that God corrects his children. Ver Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. If you can find the notes there, this verse should be there. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That means corrects. And scourgeth. That's, that's hyperbole. Not, Every son whom he receiveth. I got malaria in Panama. I told you. They hadn't seen it in five years. And I was down there with a thousand soldiers. And I was the only one that got it at jungle warfare school. And it was clear to me. I got it because I was not walking with the Lord. I didn't care to witness. I was. Not anybody that anybody would look up to and say, well, that, there's a good guy. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. Anyway, I, uh, I had a riotous weekend plan and the weekend right, I came back on Friday night and I was high fever, fever of unknown origin. If Coco saw a hospital for six days, 
I got out in time to get on the bus and go to the airport and fly back with my battalion. And when I went on leave right away, got back right before Christmas, went on leave. And when I got back, the CQ goes, man, they've been calling for you every day from Panama. You had malaria and they want to talk to you where you were. They want you to get your map and tell them where you were. You go up to Shark River, I, Shark River and, and uh, you got on. Anyway, and I can tell you where I was. So I told them exactly, gave them the grid coordinates and they went out and sprayed for that mosquito. Okay, so now I hope I'm at my... Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Season, episode 109. If I'd have done a better job, I wouldn't have had to take all that time to explain the mistake that I had in the last lesson, but it took me 36 minutes to do that. Sorry. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That was 59 verses in that last lesson. This is only nine verses, so probably in Judea. Uh, and his title is Almost Repent. So we'll see where that title came from. There, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. And there were present at that season, right after the 59 where we left off before. There, if you want to see where we were and you got a Bible, uh, you could look back. Or you, later you can look back at uh, episode 108. There were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans who Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. Why are they telling him the news? Because he'd been gone for six months uh, in the withdrawal to the to the Roman uh, the Greek side of the Jordan River to Perea, which it sounds like he's going back to. Um, he's not been well received here. If you've been following along here, but I, it's been it was six months that I didn't do a podcast, and I won't give you all my excuses for that, but anyway, uh, they were, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans who Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, I don't really know what's going on here. Um, Galileans would not be offering sacrifices. That That's something that priests do. Sons of Levi, of the tribe of Levi. So the, I guess possibly they were bringing sacrifices to uh, Jerusalem, to the temple, or they were being disobedient and offering sacrifice. I, I never heard of that. So I'm going to go with the latter. There were present at that season... Uh, some that told Jesus, oh, Jesus, did you hear that Pilate killed a bunch of Galileans whose blood he mixed with, mingled with their sacrifices? So, I, I don't know. I'm, anyway, Jesus answering said unto them, suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans? Because they suffered such things? You know, there's some people that think that if you if you suffer, it's because you've done something wrong. There are, quote-unquote, Christians that believe that. I, I usually talk to them about the gospel of the grace of God. They don't know what I'm talking about. But salvation by faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone, they, they don't know what I'm talking about. Because they suffered such things, Um, I tell you nay or no, but except you repent, reconsider, you shall likewise perish. So uh, I think he's jumped to spiritual salvation here, in my opinion. Although they were talking about physical death, and that's a possibility. And I was always taught as a young Christian that the worst thing God can do to a disobedient uh, believer is uh, take him to heaven um, early before his time and I'm not saying everybody that died young did wrong I've known some some good people as the BG say the good die young I no, that was that was uh, that was what's his name never mind sorry um, 
getting confused in my music groups. Uh, Jesus continued to say, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. What is he talking about here? Um, for those 18 upon whom the tower fell in Siloam, or those 18 upon whom the tower fell in Siloam, or the tower in Siloam fell, and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? It rains on the good and the bad. It rains on the on believers and unbelievers in Jesus Christ. It rains on people who have trusted Christ and people who haven't. Uh, I tell you nay, but except you repent. And it, he has not found much faith in Jerusalem when he came back. They, nobody's coming to be healed uh, in Jerusalem. Very few. Of, he does very few miracles. I don't know if he does hardly any. And uh, all that all that they wanted, they wanted to stone him when he first got there. So in Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is a very unbelieving place, which they're going to prove in six months when they say, "Give us Barabbas." But if they don't reconsider who Christ is, repent of their dead works, or reconsider who Christ is, that's another thing. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. That could be another meaning of the word repent for salvation. You change your mind about Jesus Christ. And you put your faith in him as your only hope for heaven. Not him and your good works. Him alone. It says if you're saved by your works, the gospel has become of no effect unto you. Look that up. I'm, I think I added it to my memory verses, but I don't remember the address on that. But you could Google it. Uh, if you, if you, uh, If you are trying to work your way to heaven... Christ has become of no effect unto you. I think you, you'd find a commentary that would take you there. Anyway, and he spake also this parable. Okay, well, this is the parable. I'm sorry. I knew there was a parable in here somewhere. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and he found none. Again, uh, whenever Christ has done parables, uh, and I've taught them, uh, I've always taken taken you back to when, when the disciples said, "Why do you teach in parables?" And he said, "For, for you, it's to know, but for them, for un, you know, it's he knows what's in men's heart. He knows who's going to believe and who isn't, who's going to respond to the gospel. That's that's all I can say. He knows everyone that's going to respond. And uh, anyway, I." He spake also this parable, and he, he might have been leaving some for them to, to witness to. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Okay, this guy's a vineyard. He's a pretty rich guy. He's got a vineyard, and he's got a guy that takes care of the vineyard for him. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Last three verses here. Then said he unto his vine dresser, his vineyard, the guy in charge of his vineyard, the guy that took care of the vineyard, and uh, his, he's not finding fault with the vineyard guy. He's finding fault with the, the tree. It's not producing in three years. Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit, and this fig tree I find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Maybe these are what people would remember when he uh, comes back to Jerusalem for his seven days in Jerusalem before he's crucified. He curses a fig tree because it doesn't have any fruit on it and it shrivels up and dies. And Peter, they see it on their way into Jerusalem and on their way back out to Bethany. They see it again and Peter goes, hey, it's shriveled up. And, and he explains his point there. Um, but I think he's, he's throwing that one out for Israel, that is a fig tree that has no fruit on it. Uh, so, uh, verse 7, Then he said to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. 
Why cumbereth it the earth? If that would be a Christian, uh, he would just say, look, you know, you're not, you're not being a good example. You're not helping us out here. Just come home. That's the way I take it. That's the way I was. I've always taken those kind of verses. God, the worst thing he can he can take you home early. I think he took Ananias and Sapphira home early. I think he took uh, other believers home early. Um, that doesn't mean everybody that's died young has been on his bad side. But anyway, he took Saul home before his time. I mean, he could have saved him from that battle. But anyway, uh, why cumbereth it? Why is it taking up space on the ground? Verse 8. And the, the, the vine dresser, the dresser of the vineyard, verse 8, and he answers the Lord. Why is it cumberthing the ground? Why is it still here? Said unto him, Lord, Master, let it let it alone this year also, till I dig about it, break up the soil around it, dung it, put fertilizer around it, manure if you will. And, and if it bear fruit, hey, we got another producing fig tree. If not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. So what's his point here? Uh... A.T. Robertson thought it was, let's see if I've got it here. Um, do I have it here? His big long title for this thing. I guess I don't. Anyway, uh, I shortened it to uh, repent. I'll read it to you next week. I'll leave it at that. All right, so I will take you to um, uh, the next podcast, Lord willing. Let me find it here. Okay, next podcast, Lord willing, season two, episode 110, Jesus Heals a Crippled Woman. Oh, here's the long title for this one anyway. Jesus Heals a Crippled Woman on the Sabbath and defends himself against the rulers of the synagogue. Sound familiar? It was in episode 4951 and 114. These are A.T. Robertson's notes here. Very few notes, but he put them in order. That's the, the work he did. And it's his guess what order it is, but I, I enjoy studying the Bible. I'm getting a lot of more understanding of the, the four Gospels and the life of Christ. Repetition uh, of parables in the next in the next episode 110, we have Jesus heals the crippled woman on the Sabbath, and defends himself against the ruler of the synagogue, and repetition of the parables of the mustard seed. Which which when it comes to faith, I love that faith is the grain of a mustard seed. If you had faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. And I if you have if you you know, I've been working on this metaphor if or simile. If faith was like sugar, and we all had sugar jars, and we were in my Sunday school class, not that I'm the teacher of it, but the Sunday school class I attend, um, and we all had varying faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. A new believer, I would say, you know, he, Lord, I believe, helped out my unbelief. He's mostly unbelief. Very little faith in Jesus Christ. But he would have one grain of sugar or one grain of mustard seed. You know, I, that's the way I was when I first trusted Christ. When, it, when that sergeant told me to trust my parachute, I had very little faith in that parachute. And on top of that, I'd be the first guy out the door. So I had a lot of time to think about it with my hands on the outside of the door, on the outside of the airplane, waiting for the command to go, which was basically a being thrown out of the airplane because the jump master didn't want somebody. You can't hear anything. Your head's sticking outside, practically sticking outside a airplane. We jumped out of C-141s. Take a look at those. Those are four jet engines. I think it's like a, uh, whatever, the old four jet engine airplane that used to be in DC-10 or whatever. Uh, no, not a DC-10. I don't know what it is. It's a, Anyway, what the civilian 
it's a big jet airplane. And they had this thing they'd swing out there to break the wind and uh, or it'd rip your face off. But I'm standing with my hands on the outside of that thing waiting for the command to go. And by the time, after my first jump, he probably had to throw, I don't know, you can't hear anything. Forget about it. So he, he basically just throws you out. But, you, you you know, it's enough to get a good position and your hand on your reserve. And But I had very little faith in that parachute until it opened. And they told me, when you're the first time a parachute opens over your head, it will be the most beautiful thing you ever saw. And I always remembered that all seven times it opened my head. I said, that is beautiful. Anyway, I had very little faith in that parachute. After that first jump, man, let me go. I, we were like joking and having a great time. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I had very little faith the night I trusted Christ. In fact, I wasn't even sure I had salvation until that girl said to me, if I never see you again, I'll see you in heaven. She was just standing by the door of the man's house I was in where the Bible study was at. And there were 50 kids, but they'd all gone home. And she said, if I never see you again, I'll see you in heaven. And I said, I thought about what she said. And I said, you're right. And man, from that moment on, I never had a doubt. If I have a doubt, it lasts way less than a second. All I got to do is think, for God so loved the world, he loves the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, and that's me, gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have I have everlasting life. What am I thinking about? You know, I have God's word. So my faith, I'm, I'm sure of my salvation. Some people take that as pride, but lost people take it as pride, because if they were believers, they would understand I have zero pride in me for salvation, or I've got total pride in God. And and it's one of the reasons I'm not a perfect Christian is I probably have, well, I do. I do have too much pride. And it affects my teaching. And it's, all right. Sorry it took so long, but I had to review and answer a question that I kept over. Now I uh, can't remember my last question. It wasn't that important. Maybe I'll, when I hear this, I will remember what it was. All right. I will say adios. And what? I'm confused. Okay, yeah, I will say, yeah, I will say adios to God and via con Dios, go with God.